his karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams, thanks for everything, mom and dad, will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Briefing for Friday, January 12th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer and coming up on today's show, we'll speak to the VFW's Legislative Director, Carlos Fuentes, and their Veteran Service Director, Ryan Gallucci, and we're going to talk about what the VFW's priorities are looking forward for 2018. And then, Pets for Vets' Sean Quigley will come on to tell us all about that organization. Sean is a chapter director for Pets for Vets in North Carolina, and to break it down on a very simple level for you, Pets for Vets is a fantastic organization that's out there working every day to help veterans find the right four-legged friend for themselves, and to find it at one of the many, unfortunately overpopulated, animal shelters in this country. All of that and more coming up on the morning briefing for Friday, January 12th. And of course, if it is Friday and if Jake Hughes is here, you know what time it is. Oh, that's the wrong thing. It didn't play right. I was going to play your theme song, Jake. Well, unfortunately, I don't have any headphones on, so I, I couldn't hear it anyway. You wouldn't have heard it anyway. That's true. But uh, here we go. It's now I can hear it. You know it's playing right now, Jake. Hold on. I know. I, 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 can, I can feel it in the base of my spine. I can feel it. It is Friday, January 12th, 2018, and I want to start off the show by saying a very special happy birthday to my son, Decker Dame, who turns five years old Woo-hoo! today. Yeah, five years ago, my life changed, and that woo-hoo came from the third mic in the studio where our own Jonathan Copanger is. Good, Good morning. morning, Jonathan. How are you doing today? I'm fabulous today. Fabulous I, today. I just have to, I have to ask, could you name him after Blade Runner? No, that's Deckard. <laughs> okay. D-E-C-K-A-R-D. Just making sure. in Blade Runner. Come on, man. I, I, know how, I know you're a nerd. I you're know how much of a nerd you are. You're going to have to turn in your nerd I know card. you're a nerd, but how much of a nerd is You know what my aunt asked me the other day? She was watching football. It was last Sunday or the Sunday before and said, it was last Sunday because it was a playoff game, maybe Saturday. Said, Do you know there's a football player named Eric Decker? Because my son's name is Decker and my name is Eric. And I said, yep. Yep, he's been around for quite a while, and not only that, around the time that my son was born, played for my least favorite football team, (laughs) the Denver Broncos, who of course are a rival of my favorite football team, the Oakland, soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders. But anyway, five years ago today, my little guy came into my life, and uh, everything changed for the better, even the bad stuff, like yesterday when he was vomiting all over his mother. Um, yeah, he's, he's not feeling so good on his birthday. In fact, I might head home a little early today in order to uh, relieve my wife from the watching sick child duty. It's weird, though, when kids get sick, he'll, he'll be, this may be the flu or something. I don't know what it is, but he threw up like projectile vomited several times and then still was like kind of himself for most of the day. If I had that same kind of illness... I would have been 
uh, in the dark, moaning, asking my wife, please, can you bring me some Gatorade? I think I'm going to die if I don't get a glass of wine. My son is like, yeah, I don't feel great, but, you know, I'm going to trudge through it. Yeah, rough stuff, rough stuff. <laughs> but happy birthday to my little buddy, my best friend. Well, I've got two best friends, my wife and my son. Best friend, uh, one, and best friend, also one. So, yeah. Good stuff out there. How's that? No, never mind. It <laughs> must it, it must be a married thing. It's They're married tied. Thing. Well, you know what? I think uh when you uh when you have a child, you make the the unspoken agreement that the child comes before anything else. Especially when he's five years old and uh I guess uh, somewhat now capable of uh fending for himself, but as a five year old, not fully. And he's also trying to get himself injured very often uh, i'm trying not to get injured and trying to spend more time with him by jake as i told you yesterday and uh, jonathan as you will find out today i started on wednesday i took my first brazilian jiu-jitsu class at the uh, the gym near my house now, i knew I've, you signed up that's cool. yeah i've trained a little bit in in mixed martial arts and done some of the modern army combatives program before and stuff like that never trained in a gi which is of course the traditional martial arts outfit yeah. and uh, never done an official brazilian jiu-jitsu specific training and figured this is a good way to help get into shape and have fun while doing it and it was a lot of fun although it hurt and i'm in a lot worse shape <laughs> a lot worse shape than i thought i was so last night night of course you know like the day after a good workout is when it really hits you <laughs> so last night my wife and i played our uh, we played a couple games of uh, pac-man against each other as we do most nights now since we have that game on the xbox and at, at around nine o'clock i was like all right going up to bed and she's like oh you're already done I said yeah i'm already done everything hurts i'm gonna take some advil <laughs> go up there and uh, and just lay down but i didn't get a lot of sleep because i started for some reason i brought my laptop with me i think i had some work thing to finish up when i went up there and eventually ended up reading an article about uh, ultra marathoners you know the people who run like a hundred plus miles yeah, at a time the crazy people yeah well this was the even crazier people that fake it like a guy who tried to set the record for running across the country. And of course, people knew he was doing it. And like running magazines had talked about it. Someone went out to run with him and found an RV moving at the pace that a runner would in the middle of the night and was like, huh, <laughs> shot video. Of it. Like, I, so I just found, fell down, you know, that, that Wikipedia hole that you fall down. And yeah, like, I hate it. These websites. Before I realized it, it was after midnight. I've got to be up quite early. And Jake has to be up quite early every day. And Jonathan, when he's in here early, has to be up quite early. It was not fun to realize, like, oh, man, I'm going to get four hours of sleep tonight. But you know what? You yep. do what you got to do. And then I'll go to jujitsu again tonight. My legs are still hurting. And tomorrow I probably won't be able to walk. But that's okay because tomorrow's Saturday. I don't really <laughs> need to go anywhere. Although I think we're celebrating, uh, doing part of the celebration of my son's birthday. Not his birthday party, though. We pushed that off into February because my wife thinks it's too close to Christmas. Like, he just got Christmas presents yeah, I think 12th. that's kind of a great idea because it drags out the present giving. Yeah, as a recipient, I think that's a wonderful idea. Yeah, yeah. because my my brother got the short end of the stick. He was his birthday is December twelfth, uh -huh. so he he gets half and half. He doesn't get mm. the full treatment on both times. 
I was always lucky. Um, both of my uh, my families, my my mother's family. Wow, there's a four letter word on CNN right now. I've yep, seen that on the front page of CNN's present. website, the New York Post, and all that stuff. Uh, it, it, it's, Actually, it's, it's an eight-letter word. It's well, yeah, but with a four letter word that begins <laughs> it and one that you normally don't see on TV. But hey, uh, of course, it's referring to the president's yeah. remarks that were made. Uh, topic of conversation we're not going to touch on, but I mentioned the Brazilian jiu-jitsu thing because a lot of us uh, struggle as veterans to stay in shape to find some way where you're not being essentially told you need to work out three times a week minimum and that you have to do it. It looks like, though, it's also a problem for people coming into the military and then also while they're in, because you see the military times, army times specifically, has a story about 10 southern states less likely to be fit. That's right. Recruits from 10 southern states Hmm. less likely to be fit. And it's all in the South. That's why the headline's right there. Why? Is it? Is it just, um, you know, it, it food? says... Is it, uh, the activity level? What's the... That, that Southern comfort food. I'm uh, Gravy, give it, it to says me. It, yeah. <laughs> the story doesn't really go into it, but it says that researchers recommend that active living policies be promoted as a matter of national security um, to put emphasis on improving the health of the population. Having lived in the South, I, I think there's a few things. Uh, fried food, for one, is mm, yeah. a staple. And it's very good. I understand mm. why it's a staple. You go down to the southern half of the United States, and they will fry anything. <laughs> fried Twinkies. You have yeah. not, you have not a, lived until you've had a deep fried deep uh, fried butter. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, yeah. fried yeah. butter. I see. Now I'm partial to like fried pickles and things like nah. that. Yeah, but well, I'm a pickle fan. Fried pickles are awesome. But I've had fried Twinkies, fried Snickers bar, yes. which boy, oh my gosh, how can we make this little bar of sugar and garbage <laughs> less healthy? Hey, put it in fat and boil it. Let's basically, deep fried. It's yeah. um. So th- that's that's really the issue. It's it's a diet and sedentary lifestyle thing. And I'm I'm sorry, but humidity. Uh, I've people lived don't in the South. Yeah. I don't want to do anything. No. Summer, I don't want to do anything at all. And a lot of people, I think, feel that way. And then, of course, with the uh, options that you have inside now when it comes to, yeah. I, listen, air conditioning is a fairly recent <sighs> invention, we got to remember, <laughs> video games that are like, well, why would I go outside and get ridiculously sweaty in the, let's use one of these states, for example, Alabama summer heat and, and play basketball when I could just stay in here play against NBA players and other people online, and it's like, it's fantastic. This is great. But the states, if you're wondering, and you may be wondering, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, that one doesn't surprise me. That's the southern state that I lived in. Uh, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi. So basically the entire deep south. That's that's that whole area. Um, Florida, of course, some people don't put into that that category, but parts of Florida Florida. panhandles. Yeah, that's definitely the south. Florida is to the south what SpaghettiOs is to Italian food. Ooh, not anything close. Yeah, not exactly the same thing. Not quite the same, but parts of it are. You know, when you're talking about North Florida, the Jacksonville area, the panhandle over in the west, Tallahassee, and all that stuff. Where I lived in Florida, it definitely wasn't considered Florida. Orlando. You can find rednecks anywhere. They're. There's rednecks everywhere. My brother was a redneck, and he <laughs> was from California. Yeah. So along with those states, then the Carolinas, North and South, Tennessee, and Jake just had to stack out because we got a, a phone call, which I believe is probably the uh, our guest from the VFW letting us know that they're here. Jake's home state of Texas. I did want to talk to him about yeah. that, but he's not here. Texas is an interesting one where I think you'll find 
some of the most fit people in the country yeah. because of the athletics and yeah. how important they are down there and some of the least fit people in the country. You know, but it's also one of those places where I'm married to a vegetarian. I'm not a huge fan of vegetables. So I, I would like go them. to... I go to Texas, and Except that's a place where you can get meat and potatoes, like and swing a dead cat, and you can get meat and potatoes that are good. Oh yeah, I love meat and potatoes. Yeah, keep you know the veg- vegetables on another plate, and I'm fine with that. So I, maybe I understand that with Texas. Yeah, I, I would be one of the fat people if I lived there. It's one one thing that's always fascinated me about this, and when it comes to health, is that. Let's look at college football, for example. Alabama produces some of the greatest athletes in the country. I mean, that's why University of Alabama is such a great college football team. Florida, there are so many amazing athletes in Florida, particularly football and baseball players, Mm -hmm. that they not only stock all the state schools in Florida, there are too many of them to to go on scholarship to the Florida schools, Mm. so they go to schools all over the country. So you kind of have this dichotomy of incredibly fit and athletic people and the least fit and athletic people. I know in Florida you also have a lot of retirement, so... yeah. Yeah, but with young people, that's the interesting thing. We're we're looking more with this is more about recruits. Yeah. Um the That's true. The and the and the reason why this is such a big issue is that from those states there were up to 28% more injuries for recruits than mm. there were for uh the recruits from fitter states. I mean, it's 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 an issue. It's a big problem. Now, this study, according to Army Times, was led by researchers at the Citadel, which, of course, is a military college right. in South Carolina, um, where you can obtain a commission through it, despite it not being one of the official service academies. Um, obesity and a lack of physical fitness in the South are a threat to military readiness and national security, according to the researchers in the study. So, Did it that, say what the fit, more fit states were? Uh, let's see. You know what? There's a link through to the study, so let's take a look at I'm that. I'm thinking California would probably be up there. Uh, you would think it could be, but California it's is so, so big, big yeah. that it can it can have can um, go both ways. It can have some some seriously varied. But you got all the plastic surgery going on in Southern California. That's got a you know little liposuction here and there. It's got to add to this somehow. <laughs> Again, we're talking about military recruits. Hey, you how never many, know. How, Beverly Hills true. come from Beverly Hills. Yep. Have you been to the recruiting station there? I have not. No. We I should can, check yeah. with. Well, um, what, what's your face? Um, I just watched the the movie. Um, Private Benjamin. She oh, went to, yeah, there yeah, in California. Yeah, yeah. She was told Monterey was where she was going to go with the <laughs> condos <laughs> and the yachts and everything. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I, I, lived I haven't seen hide nor hair of Goldie Hawn in a long time either. She did that movie with uh, Amy Schumer that was pretty good. Oh, was she in Trainwreck? No, there was another movie where she played Amy Schumer's mother. Oh, and, and they got kidnapped or something. Oh, it was I think pretty I, funny. I think I recall that. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name, but it was pretty funny. Yeah, I don't, I don't. Well, not funny enough for you to remember the name <laughs> of the movie. Apparently, um, Texas, of course, Jake, we mentioned was on that list of the of ten least fit states for a while ago. Houston was ranked as the fattest city in America. So I'm from yeah. the fattest city in the fattest state in the fattest country in the world. Why? Uh, would, why would Houston be the fattest city in America? What's What's about Houston that makes it everybody Whataburger? Be? Really? Yeah. They have the best fast food in America down there in Houston. But no, I think it's more they just have that everywhere though. Whataburger's in, in Jacksonville. Whataburger it's all across the South. It's a it's a chain. It's all right. You know how everybody has their own local yeah. like In and Out is the greatest thing. And then you go to In and Out and you're like, it's all right, I guess. Like it's just a burger. It's all right. Yeah. Five Sounds guys. Like that. It's all right. It's more of the humidity and you know, you don't want to go outside. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he was yeah. saying. And then we also talked about the interesting thing that 
states that are on that list, like Alabama, Florida, and Texas in particular, produce some of the greatest athletes in the country. So it produces some of the fittest people and some of the least fit people in the country. But it's uh, yeah, up to 28% more injuries for recruits from those 10 states, which is a fascinating thing. And they say it's a threat to national security. You can go check out more on that story uh, over there at militarytimes.com. And of course, you want to check out connectingvets.com. That's our website. And it's got... Uh, it's got some very interesting top stories on there, including one titled Vets Like Their Tobacco, But You Knew That. Now, Jonathan, you served during a time where tobacco use was even more prevalent. And I mean, you could you actually in the smoke Navy in the office. smoke in the offices, yeah. on ships and yeah. stuff. When I was in, you could smoke in places where the... Uh, the smoking lamp would be lit, yeah. which included spaces where they'd weld. So like where the hull techs were, you weren't supposed to smoke in there, but... You could, you know, if they were friends with you, they'd let you come in there and do it. Basically, uh, we've got a great video that our own Phil Briggs did going out on the street and finding out how many people in our nation's capital know the words to the national anthem might surprise you what the answer. To yeah. That is. Yeah. You know, I, I thought it's like, how can people not know the national anthem? And then I realized I spent two years saying it pretty much every day when well, I on remember, the trail. I, oh, so, yeah. yeah, I remember it mostly still from sporting events. We had like season tickets to the Hartford Whalers when I was a kid. And I remember, oh God, I want to say Harvey Dent. His name wasn't Harvey Dent. That Harvey was, Williams yeah, or something Harvey like Dent. that. Yeah, that's Two-Face. No, that's Two-Face. But <laughs> here's, here's why I think I'm, I'm, I'm putting two things together. He w- had a beautiful voice, would sing, Oh, Canada whenever the Canadian team, and I mm-hmm. loved that song because of the way that he sang it. And I believe his first name was Harvey, but he looked like Billy D. Williams, who played Harvey Dent in the original Batman movie, yeah. if you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm mixing those two that's, things together. That's some good Python logic there, <laughs> it linking is. those right. two together. Uh, the VA is asking for uh, you know, basically advice from caregivers about changes to uh, you know, caregiver... Uh, assistance that's coming out from the VA. And yeah, what you, they have, think you have a month to, to put some um, comments at the Federal Register for that. Right. And AMVETS, Executive Director Joe Chanelli, my former Defense Information School classmate, uh, talking about the path forward on the president's executive order in regards to veterans' mental health. Joe says it's essentially uh, the president doing uh, what a business leader essentially does and saying, here's what you have to do. You have 90 days to do it. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You're going to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And he says that there is a path forward, he believes, and it's going to be expensive. But, of course, when you're talking about cost in terms of dollars and cents with this issue, to talking about savings in terms of lives. Right. So the AMVETS believes that the, the path forward that they think is the right one uh, is absolutely going to be worth every penny. I found out on Twitter that an old friend of the show of ours, Chris Christopher Goldsmith, yeah. talked about how this order specifically leaves out people with bad paper discharges mm. who are historically the most likely to suffer from mental health issues and suicide. Right. Yeah. So it, now, yeah, that's true. But remember that Shulkin is trying to work around that. There's already some workarounds for some people like that. So they are trying to work around okay. that issue. Yeah. They're trying to find a way around it. Um, however, the, the executive order and the executive order, as, as Joe was saying, it's kind of vague and it's kind of what you see in the business world, yeah. which again, that's where he comes from, where a CEO will be like, all right, by whatever date we need to have this goal accomplished 
get it done yeah. or else heads will roll, you know, that kind of thing. And that's kind of what he's doing here. Um, so a lot of people complaining about the vagueness of it. Some other people saying they totally understand it. He's basically putting the onus on the organizations to say, Hey, if you want to, you need to figure this out. You're the ones who are going to be doing it. You figure it out. And DOD and VA are the best two people to figure this out since it is their people and department of Homeland security exactly. who are involved in this too, of course, because of the coast guard, um, who, you know, the majority of the time fall under the department of Homeland Security. Interesting national security news from overseas that's being reported, and that is that an old favorite stomping ground of mine, Naval Air Station Keflavik, looks like the Navy is doing some renovation of air hangars on Naval Air Station Keflavik. Despite the fact that it's no longer Naval Air Station Keflavik, it shut down in 2006. Twelve years ago, we left, and now the Navy's back there and doing some renovations on hangars, and people are wondering what exactly that means. Is Keflavik going to open back up? Yeah, what are they storing there? The military is saying, no, it doesn't mean permanent uh, installation of U.S. troops. There were like 5,000 people on the base when I was there, about Mm -hmm. 4,000 Navy, 1,000 Air Force and it was predominantly used as a listening post for P3 Orion's, yeah. the subhunters, yeah. watching the Russians. The reason they shut it down, well, there were several reasons why they shut it down. One, the Icelanders uh, didn't particularly want the base there anymore. <laughs> they wanted to use that land for other things. Mm-hmm. Although I'm told by some of my friends in Iceland that they never really did anything with that land. Because shortly after the U.S. left that base, uh, the Icelandic economy tanked. Yeah. They were... They were kind of the canary in the coal mine as far as the uh, the financial crisis of the 2008 time frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, we left in 2006. Their economy crashed about 2007. Bad. Yeah. And when you're a country that relies on import-exports, that's, that's a big problem. So the Navy says this isn't for um, if permanent installation of troops. It's because the other reason why we left is kind of changing a little bit. The reason that the U.S. originally claimed for shutting it down besides the Icelandic government pressure was that the Russians were not operating submarines in the GIUK gap, which is Greenland, Iceland yeah. in the United which Kingdom. Now their subs are they're back. Up. They're being yeah. more aggressive. Now, do they have newer, better submarines? No, not particularly. They're still using kind of outdated equipment in a lot of ways, but they are back there doing a lot more stuff and we need to keep an eye on them is how our military looks at it. So they're going to have some P-8A Poseidon aircraft, um, you know, stopping there, staying for short periods of time when they're detecting cool. activity and things like that. The prime minister of Iceland, whose name, of course, is, oh, I just saw it. I just saw it. And then it went away from me. Like you'd be so do we actually, anyway. Katrin Jacob's daughter. Do we still own the land? No. The base? No. So are we paying it's like for leasing it, I guess. We're, no, that's what that's what we did before. See, that's why the US left the base. Yeah. What the I'm so the confused. Icelandic government kind of forced their hand because it was a NATO base, but it was owned by the Icelandic government Got it. and leased to the United States and NATO. Denmark also had a contingent there, a permanent contingent. Um and so there would be other temporary people, Italians coming in, Canadians, whoever else. Um, the Icelandic government essentially raised the rent and the combination of that <laughs> and the U.S. saying, like, well, we're not dealing with the Russians as much anymore. Uh, they they shut it down and they, they decided they would operate uh, from other areas. But it's an important station. And if things heat up with the Russians again, heat up by cooling down, yeah. you know, Cold War, uh, the 
the Naval Air Station Keflavik spot is an important one. Yeah. Iceland is certainly an ally of ours and not particularly fond of the Russians. So, uh, you know, they are happy to have us kind of take care of their national defense. They don't have a military. They have a kind of uh, national police uh, medic unit that deployed to Afghanistan. They have a very small Coast Guard, a couple of ships that mostly do fishery enforcement because mm-hmm. – that's one of the main aspects of the uh, the economy over there. But when I got there, actually, the weekend that I got there, which would have been in the spring of 1999, a Russian bomber, a bear bomber, flew mm-hmm. into Icelandic airspace, and they had to scramble the F-16s who went up there. I, of course, worked at the TV and radio station, so within days of getting there, I'm looking at video right. shot from an <laughs> F-16 of a Russian bomber essentially <laughs> flying right over the base. I mean, they were like 50 miles out, but still, you're looking your at it and committee. going like, oh, man, yeah. this is this is crazy. But that became less and less frequent there. Now, Alaska, on the other hand, the Russians intrude on American airspace. Right regularly yeah look into it and you'll find that they're doing that stuff like almost on a monthly basis they're running little little excursions that bring them into alaska's airspace because up there honestly you can there are places where you can basically go from russian airspace to alaskan airspace in the span of minutes they're looking at sarah palin's house you know and as much as people make fun of sarah palin for something that she'd never said (laughs) which is the best part about that that it's become ingrained in the public uh uh consciousness despite the fact that she never said that there are parts of alaska where you can see russia yeah so there you go not necessarily from her house in wasilla but <laughs> there are parts of alaska you know go watch uh, any one of the fifty thousand tv shows on the discovery channel about alaska alaska state troopers is my favorite one where they go out to the really remote villages where alcohol is banned yeah Oh boy, can you right. imagine can you that? Can you imagine living out in the middle of nowhere and you can't even drink? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, what, what genius was behind that And law? who gets to decide that? Like, did they decide that or did someone <laughs> decide that for them? And it's typically the native Alaskan population there, but it is anyone who is uh, who is in those communities. But yeah, so Iceland, uh, the Prime Minister of Iceland, Katrin Jacob's daughter, tells the Reykjavik Grape Rhine, uh, she's spoken with the Foreign Minister, there are no plans for any permanent long-term presence, which to my mind is important. But again, it depends on how uh, how touchy the Russians get because the Icelanders have no way to defend themselves. Yeah. We had 5,000 military on that base, 4,000 Navy, 1,000 Air Force, and then a small contingent of a uh, Marine Corps uh, uh, force protection team, security force company, whose job, these 150 Marines or so, was... Hey, if the Russians show up, hold them off long enough yeah. for reinforcements <laughs> to get here. Most of you will probably die, but uh, you know it'll be for it's a your good job. cause. That's what Marines like. That's what Marines like to do. That's what Marines like to do. They like to put their <laughs> lives on the line. Some truth to that. Right? Coming up here in just a moment, the VFW's legislative director and national veteran service director will be live in studio telling us about the 2018 direction of the VFW. Helping military veterans stay connected. We make it easy. We're CBS Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting vets every day. Online and all over social media. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. At ConnectingVets. Welcome back to The Morning Briefing. It's Friday, January 12th, 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Jake Hughes is your producer. And a big thank you to our friends from the VFW for coming in and helping to outline what their goals are for 2018. 
So much great stuff that we didn't even get to, including compensation, education, employment, and transition, military quality of life. I mean, they're doing a lot of great things over there, and they've got some big plans for 2018 for taking a stand on the items that are of import to them. And, of course, you can check out the VFW at vfw.org and as carlos told us vfw.org slash legislation you'll be able to check out more of their priority goals for 2018 there also be sure to check out connectingvets.com connecting vets every day intercoms connectingvets.com is your one-stop shop for all things veteran related news we got that benefits we got that cool little things like vet ticks and features with people like Tim Kennedy. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, we've got that stuff too. And you should absolutely be checking it out every day. And the best way to check it out every day, just follow us on social media. If you do that, you'll be kept up to date on the latest and greatest stories and items of interest and note that go up. Like our next guest. There's probably eventually going to be a story going up on the site about him and his organization because what they're doing, well, it's pretty darn cool. His name is Sean Quigley, and he is from Pets for Vets. What is Pets for Vets? Well, let me tell you their mission statement. At Pets for Vets, we believe our country owes military veterans a debt of gratitude. Our troops have been brave, but many of them have returned with physical and emotional injuries that have made it difficult to transition back to civilian life. Some estimates state that as many as 20% of returning military veterans suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. So what does Pets for Vets want to do about that? They want to find shelter dogs that match up perfectly with the individual personality of our veterans. And it is really great work helping them find the right four-legged friend for them. And one man who's doing it is Sean Quigley, who's the chapter director down in Cape Fear, North Carolina. Sean, welcome to the morning briefing. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's absolutely a pleasure. Now, we start off almost every interview that we do here by finding out the background of the person we're talking to. And I read a little bit of your bio and it looks to me like the Navy didn't want to let you in. They already had me, so they were good. So you decided to go into the Army. Tell us a little bit about your service in the Army, when you joined and what you did while you were in there. Yeah, so I I decided I I would prefer to go into the best branch there is. So I I selected the (laughs) Army. Uh, yes, I was uh, I was a combat medic in the army. Um, from from my perspective, you know, I, I wanted to do something that was that was pretty hood, that was pretty hardcore. But uh, I also wanted to get a good medical background and be able to to help those that I served with as well. So uh, so being a combat medic was a good fit for me. Um, I served uh, four years on active duty, and I think I still have a little bit of that. I want to help my guys in the back of my my uh, mentality somewhere. So, uh, so that's what I'm doing with Pets for Vets now. Let's talk about the end of your time on active duty. When you transition out of the Army into the civilian world, I'm guessing you probably joined at a fairly young age. What do you remember I most did. about that transition period, going from active duty combat medic Sean Quigley to civilian Sean Quigley? Yeah, you know, I honestly, I, I wasn't really prepared for it very well at all. Um, I, I know that the, the military has, has made uh, some pretty big strides in terms of trying to make that transition a bit easier for, uh, for those uh, soldiers that are getting out today. Uh, but for me at that time, I, I just wasn't really prepared, I think, to move from active duty to, to civilian again. Uh, to Mr. Quigley, you know, it was uh, it was quite um, quite the change, and 
Um, it took me a long time really to, to kind of figure out that I was, you know, back in the civilian world, so to speak, and, and kind of how, um, how to act again in, in the civilian world after four years of active duty. So it, it was a tough transition. I, I, I will admit that. Um, and, and I think it, I think it is for, for a lot, for a lot of folks that are transitioning out. So, um, and, and I think the program that we have um, is is uh, helping to meet some of those uh, transition needs as well. So He's, of course, talking about Pets for Vets, which we're going to get to in just a moment. But one last question about that transition period for you, Sean, is what do you remember and what lesson do you wish uh, that you've learned do you wish you knew about when you were leaving the Army? What's the one thing that you would pass on to those who are getting ready to end their time on active duty if you could alert them to uh, you know those bumps in the roads that you faced and what you learned about them afterwards? Yeah, you know, I honestly, I think it's a lot of what of what you guys are trying to do now. I, I would suggest that um, people who are in the process of, of of that transition, I would suggest that they try and stay in touch with uh, with veterans groups. Um, I, you know, I, it's a very very helpful community. Uh, it's a community of like minded folks, um, and you know, they those those veteran groups, those people have been through that transition process. Um, you know, it's a, it's a community that, that, that I find much easier to talk to, um, than, you know, than trying to establish kind of new relationships with, uh, with civilians as you're transitioning out. So that would be my advice would be to try and connect with veterans groups. I think that'll make the transition process much easier. I certainly think there are a lot of people who would agree with you there. I can tell you that joining the VFW for me was a, a big help. Just having people who had, dating back to World War II in Korea, been working with, uh, dealing with the VA and all the different benefits that are available, just having them as a yep. resource was extremely invaluable to me. We're speaking with Sean Quigley. He's the chapter director of Pets for Vets down in Cape Fear, North Carolina. And Sean, tell me how you came to be affiliated with Pets for Vets. When did you first become aware of them? And then when did you join their team? So yeah, about five years ago, I had a, a good buddy of mine who's a marine who was a marine vet. Um, he called me and said that uh, he had been in touch with a group called Pets for Vets, um, and that they were interested in trying to get a chapter started in the area that I lived in. Um, so I went to their website, did a little bit of due diligence, um, and after spending some time doing a little bit of research and, and talking to him. Um, we went for it. We, we, we went ahead and, and did what we could to try and get a, a chapter started in this area. And I'm, I'm happy to say it's been about five years now uh, that I've been volunteering with Pets for Vets. And uh, we've, we've managed to, to make some matches in this area, and, uh, which means that we've been able to rescue some, some shelter dogs and we've been able to improve the quality of life for, our, for some veterans in this area. And uh, I've, I've been happy to volunteer with them ever since. I gave a, a brief summation of what Pets for Vets is about, but as someone who's a chapter director and who's so involved with the program, if I were to come up to you and, and see you standing behind a sign that says Pets for Vets and ask you, what is Pets for Vets? What's the answer you're going to give me? Yeah, so, so Pets for Vets uh, has a, a dual mission. Basically, what we do is we work with veterans who have requested a companion animal by uh, matching them with a, a shelter dog. Um, that has been specifically selected for them. Uh, we get to know the veteran. We get to know their background and their needs. 
Um, we get to know the, the environment that the dog is going to go into. Um, and then our, our trainers um, go to shelters and start vetting dogs there. Um, we have a, a lot of um, socialization processes and tests that we put the doggies through to try and make sure that we find the best match possible for that veteran. Then what we do is we, once we find the correct dog, we'll pull them from the shelter. Uh, we'll place the dog into a foster home, and the trainer will work with the doggies um, to get them up to um, the what we typically refer to as canine good citizen standards because they are a companion animal. Uh, so they have very, very good um, basic obedience training. Um, we make sure that they're, you know, the dog's completely healthy, up to date on shots. We buy all the initial supplies that the veteran's going to need. Uh, make sure that our foster homes are supplied with all the everything they're going to need as well. Um, and then eventually we will match the dog once they're ready with their particular veteran, and the trainer will work with them through the kind of transition process um, after match day as well. Um, so that's kind of a basic overview, overview of our program where we get to save a dog's life and improve quality of life for a veteran. It really sounds like a fantastic program, and that's probably why it's gotten so much media coverage. I mean, NBC's Give has featured Pets for Vets. Katie Couric has looked into how shelter dogs help veterans battle PTSD. CNN Headlines, Headline News have Pets for Vets on their Veterans Day coverage, and they've even had some pretty special people come up and do some work with them. In fact, I'm going to play a little clip right here, so check this out. You may remember this man from such things as Forrest Gump. It's Lieutenant Dan himself talking about Pets for Vets. But I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all the veterans, defenders, and their families, and to the good folks at Pets for Vets for their passion in supporting our brave men and women returning from battle. Freedom and security are precious gifts that we as Americans should never take for granted. We must do all we can to extend our hand in times of need to those who selflessly serve to provide that freedom and security. So thank you, Pets for Vets, for making a difference in the lives of these brave men and women. I believe while we can never do enough for our nation's defenders, we can always do a little more. You do just that when you pair a veteran with his new best friend. And I thank you for that. God bless. Really fantastic words from Gary Sinise, a man who's been so incredibly supportive, I think more so than anyone in that Hollywood community of the veteran organizations. And he also vets the organizations that he will speak out on behalf of and say thank you to. He's not just doing it for anybody out there. So, uh, you know, how does it feel to be part of an organization that's getting such great press and such great headlines and having, a, you know, Lieutenant Dan, Gary Sinise come out and talk about the great work that you're doing? How does it feel to be affiliated with an organization like that? You know, it, honestly, it, it, it really does feel good. Um, that Just hearing that clip again kind of gave me chills because, you know, being a veteran, anything I can do to try and help veterans, um, I'll, I'll do it. And when when I can get involved with an organization um, that, that has uh, such a great, that provides such a great opportunity for me to be able to do that, to give back to veterans, to be able to save a doggie's life as well, um, you know, put little furry battle buddies together with their veterans. Um, it just, it, it warms my heart. It makes me feel good. And um, you know, just seeing that quality of life improvement for our veterans, uh, it's it just for me, there's nothing better. So, yeah, it's absolutely huge. And you know what? I think the aspect of, of what Pets for Vets does that 
that focuses on shelter dogs is one that speaks to me. I mean, our, our dog is a shelter dog, uh, a shelter that was being closed down. They lost their lease. Nobody really knew what was going to happen to any of the animals. We were, uh, you know, thinking that we could maybe add another dog to our uh, our group of dogs at the point. Went out there and found him, and he's been a fantastic addition to our family. You know, we brought my uh, at the time like three year old son out there to see how they interacted. And as he, as Pets for Vets has shown, not only shelter dogs, but shelter dogs with the right personality fit. So, what are some of the things that you guys are looking for in shelter pets out there? I mean, is is every shelter pet going to make for a good battle buddy for a veteran, or are there certain dogs that, that might not be the right the right fit for veterans? Yeah, that's you know that's a great question, and I, I do get that question frequently. Um, unfortunately, not all of the dogs that are in shelters are going to be great for our particular program. Um, one of the things that we really look for are dogs that are very people centric. Um, and to give you just a quick example, uh, when we might take the dog for um, a little walk around the area just to kind of see how they're reacting to certain things. Um, are they paying more attention to the, the person that they're with or are they paying more attention to their environment? Um, you know, th- that's one of the things that we look for. We look for a very calm demeanor in our dogs. Um, you know, obviously our dogs first need to be people centric, but they also need to have that very kind of calm, um, um, outlook towards things. Um, you know, a a dog that's, that's super hyper and super energetic probably is not going to be the best fit for us. Um, but you know, we also do, we keep in mind the energy level of our veteran as well. You know, some of the veterans that I work with, they're young, they might be young OIF, OEF veterans. You know, we just did a match recently with a young uh, veteran that's married with two young children and they're very, very active. But I've also worked with, um, a Vietnam veteran who, uh, lived in a really small place and, you know, he, he was very much kind of a homebody, um, and, and didn't get out of the house a whole lot. Um, so, so we keep in mind the energy level of the, the, uh, the veteran and their lifestyle as well, but, but basically a, a very calm dog, a, very, a dog that's very people centric. And, and they do, again, we have socialization tests that we put the dog through, um, to make sure that, that so socially they're going to do well, you know, they, they, hopefully they don't display any real guarding tendencies, things like that. Um, especially if there are going to be kids in the house. So those are the kind of things that we were really kind of looking for in, in the dogs that we look for. We also keep in mind, you know, kind of the, the general idea of what the veteran is looking for. You know, are, are they looking for a smaller lap dog or are they looking for kind of a larger dog that they can go out to the beach and play ball with? Um, you know, kind of those, those things we keep in mind as well, because we try and make sure that we have, you know, a really good match for, for what the veteran is interested in and kind of what their, their outlook is as far as the type of dog that they'd like. Um, we try and keep that in mind when we're going to our shelters and, and vetting the dogs that are there. We're speaking with Sean Quigley. He is the chapter director for the Cape Fear, North Carolina branch of Pets for Vets. Now, as I mentioned, that branch, there are quite a few around the country. I mean, we've got four out in the western region, uh, three in the southwest. It looks like about eight in the Midwest, another four in the southeast, a whole bunch up in the northeast. Mm-hmm. How do people get in touch with these branches? And let's say, you know, if I'm looking at one here in uh, Long Island, New York, for example, a place that I used to live, if somebody's in upstate New York, does that mean that they're just out of the area or can they contact whatever the closest one is and, and see if they might be able to, to find a pet through Pets for Vets? 
Yeah, so so what what you can do is you can go to www.petsforvets.com, um, and there is in the upper right-hand side uh, of our website, there is a, a geographic breakdown of the different chapter areas. There's northeast, southeast, northwest, et cetera. Um, and so you can see if there's there's a chapter in your area. Um, and we actually, it's funny that you mentioned that the, there's a New York City, Long Island chapter. And I, I have to give a, a quick plug here because they, they recently did um, a really great interview um, on New Year's Eve in Times Square. And they had um, one of their matches and their, their, their dog with them as well. So if anybody would like to check that out, there's a, there's a post about that as well. Um, but yeah, they, they can see if there's a, a chapter in their particular area and it depends on what they're looking for as well. If it's a veteran who's looking for a dog, they, they really need to be at least close to one of the chapter, um, areas, uh, for the chapter be, to be able to assist with them because we, again, we are an all volunteer group. So if, you know, we, it would be difficult to ask our volunteers because they work so closely with the veteran. It would be difficult to ask them to travel great distances, um, to be able to work with that particular veteran. Um, but if it's somebody who's looking to volunteer, I would wholly encourage them to, um, to, write, uh, to write a note. There's a place on the website where you can, uh, if you want to volunteer with us, um, you can write a note and say that you might even be interested in helping to start a chapter in your particular area. Uh, so that's another way to go. Um, and, and what we'll do is we obviously we collect all of those um, and we try and, and, and get interest in a particular area. If we notice a few people have asked for a chapter um, and we'll try and get a chapter started in that particular area. So that's a possibility as well. And of course, you can donate on our website if people want to donate. Um, that's that's available to them on our website as well. So so there's lots of different things you can do. Um, there's also great information on our website about matches that we've made in the past. Um, so you can see videos of veterans who've been matched with their doggies. You can see interviews that uh, that various folks with Pets for Vets have done with media, as you stated earlier in the program. So there's lots of great information on our website, and I really encourage people to go out there and spend a little bit of time um, reading about Pets for Vets and getting to know us. Sean, you've been involved with this organization, as you said, for about five years or so. And what has stuck out the most to you, whether it's a specific pairing that meant something to you or something that you've noticed in common with a bunch of the pairings that sticks out? What's been the biggest thing that you've taken away as being one of the uh, the, the people that are running this organization? Yeah, so I, I can tell you there's, um, there was a, a buddy of mine who I, I hadn't known for too, too long, but I had known for, for some time before we actually, before he decided that he was interested in working with our program. He was a veteran who um, had actually been wounded twice overseas. Um, and um, I, always really, I always really enjoyed talking to him because I, I didn't actually get a chance to talk to him too much because he was... You know, he's a veteran who, like a lot of veterans, and, and I sometimes do this myself, has had a tendency to kind of isolate in his house a bit. Um, didn't really get out too much. Didn't really talk to people very often. Um, and I was really happy when he reached out to us and, and asked for a furry battle buddy from Pets for Vets. Um, and we, we, you know, we went through our process where we, we, we got to know him really well, the environment that, that he lived in, that the dog would be going into. And, and we really took our time looking for a good match for him. And, and once we made that match, um, I think it was about a week later, um, I was working out with a buddy of mine at, at a local gym 
And here comes my buddy with his Pets for Vets dog. And he was so proud to come by the gym and show everybody his new Pets for Vets doggy. He was like the proud father, and he was very open and very talkative with everyone. And that kind of thing just really warms my heart to see him, you know, out and about to 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 connect with other people using his Pets for Vets dog. And, and you know, he didn't even realize he was doing it, but it, it kind of helped open up the world again to him and that was something that really warmed my heart and i was so happy to see him um and and to see you know how his pets for vets match helped helped to change things a bit you know it's it's obviously it's not a cure-all but it's it's so helpful to have that that furry battle buddy there with you that 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 buddy that's always there to support you um, you know, it's, I think it's so helpful for our veterans and, and I was, it, it's so warmed my heart to see him and, and see that reaction in him with his pets for vets dog. And, you know, that's, that's something that that'll keep me going for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, you know, it, it's great to hear about the stories of how veterans are helped by pets for vets and to hear about you as a veteran yourself volunteering with the organization. But one thing I noticed looking through the website is that there are a lot of civilians who look like they don't have any military connection at all who devote an incredible amount of time to this. I mean, the founder of Pets for Vets, Clarissa Black, as far as I know, never served in the military, but I just saw a, a need for this, an opening for it. How has it felt for you to be part of the organization and see so many selfless people who may not have a direct tie to the military, but still want to help out your brothers and sisters in arms? Yeah, you know, that's something that I, I can tell you, uh, virtually everybody that volunteers in my chapter in the Cape Fear region, almost all of them are, are non-veterans. And they, uh, you know, they see, again, they see a need in the veteran community. They see a need to place shelter dogs. Um, so so they're, they're very, very willing to help. And that's something that really makes me feel good, too, because, you know, at, Every once in a while, I, I think we, we all, especially if you're trans, if you've transitioned out recently, sometimes it's hard to remember that that there are a lot of civilians out there that are very thankful for your service and and that want to do something to try and help veterans. And if you go by Pets for Vets chapter, you'll see a large percentage of people there that have never had any military ties at all, and they just want to help because they know about the need in the veteran community. And that's something that, you know, again, is, is, is great that this organization does that, you know, if you want to help, if you want to get involved and, and you want to be helpful with Pets for Vets, it doesn't matter whether you're a veteran or not. It doesn't matter whether you have any military ties. As long as you're willing to put in the effort with us, then you can be all in. And it's not just dogs. In fact, I was looking at the uh, you know, our local chapter here, the Washington, D.C. metro area chapter. They've placed their first kitten, a kitten named Minx that was uh, paired with a veteran named Tanisha. So uh, really amazing stuff that Pets for Vets is doing. And while I am a dog people, I understand there are those strange folks out there who prefer cats for some reason. Pets for Vets is doing great things for all veterans and all of them. Now, we've been talking to Sean Quigley, chapter director for the Cape Fear, North Carolina. Carolina chapter of Pets for Vets. Sean, if people are interested in finding out more, in trying to help out through volunteering or donation, or if they're a veteran who thinks that maybe a pet might be something that could certainly help them live their best life, where can they go to do that and how can they reach out to their local chapters? 
Yeah, absolutely. If you if if anybody's interested, they can go to www.petsforvets.com and on our website that you will see areas where you can volunteer with us. If you're a veteran and you believe you could benefit from a companion animal, you can submit an application. Um, and if you want to go ahead and, and submit a donation to us, you can do that on our website as well. And there's lots of information out there about Pets for Vets, about our founder, about how we got started and who we are and what we do. It's really a great program and one that, honestly, when you look at it, has the possibility and capability. And I would say that it most likely has already each with each pairing have the capability to save two lives, the lives of a shelter animal and the life of the veteran that's paired with it. Well, we want to thank Sean Quigley, chapter director of Cape Fear, North Carolina's chapter of Pets for Vets for joining us here on the morning briefing, as well as our friends, Carlos Fuentes and Ryan Gallucci from VFW national headquarters. Again, you can check out their 2018 legislative goals by going to VFW.org slash legislation. This has been the morning briefing for Friday. Friday, January 12, 2018. We are off on Monday due to the Martin Luther King Day holiday, but we'll be back bright and early Tuesday morning, 0700 Eastern and Pacific. Hey, have a great, safe weekend. See you next week. His karate lessons might not turn him into a black belt. Hi-ya! And even after band camp, he might not be the greatest musician. But with the 3% annual percentage yield you can earn on a PenFed premium online savings account, your goal of supporting his dreams... Thanks for everything, Mom and Dad. ...will always be worth it. Apply today at PenFed.org savings. Federally insured by NCUA. $5 minimum to open account. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed. PenFed's got great rates for everyone.